wonderful Monday so far. I have really missed you guys this past couple weeks, but I'm happy to be back with another episode. Now, you know what else I'm excited for? Halloween. <laughs> now, when you're listening to this, it's the 28th, so we're a couple of days shy of October. However, I hope you guys don't mind me getting into the Halloween spirit just a little bit early, because this week's case takes place on Halloween night, and it's probably every parent's worst nightmare. While you may take Halloween horror stories of poisoned candy and razor blade stuffed chocolate as old wives' tales, they became all too real for one family in 1974. Now, with the state of the world these days, who knows what Halloween will even look like this year. And after if this episode, you may end up boycotting Halloween altogether because you'll be a little too paranoid after hearing this case. So I'll go ahead and apologize in advance. And if you're not ready to get into Halloween spirit, then I definitely give you full permission to stop listening now and come back on October 1st to listen. <laughs> now, before we get started, I did want to say thank you to everyone who entered the giveaway over on the Instagram page a couple weeks ago. Um, the winner is receiving um, a $15 Amazon gift card and a Killer Kind t-shirt. Now, don't worry. I'll definitely do some more giveaways in the future they're so much fun and I love hitting big milestones like like I did hitting 1,000 listens so thank you again guys for all the support now without further ado let's go ahead and dive into the first Halloween episode here on the killer kind ever and talk about the man who killed Halloween in the fall of 1974 Ronald O'Brien was living in a small town called Deer Park, Texas, which is about 20 miles east of Houston. This is where he shared a home with his beautiful wife, Diane. Now, side note here, in case you look into this case yourself, Diane's name is spelled Daneen, but I've only ever heard it pronounced Diane, so we're going to call her Diane for the sake of argument, even though I can't confirm that's how it's pronounced, really. So, anyways... Ronald and Diane had two young children, Timothy, who was eight years old, and Elizabeth, who was five. At the time, Ronald was working as an optician, which, according to Google, is someone who designs, fits, and dispenses corrective lenses for the correction of a person's vision. Ronald and his family attended Second Baptist Church on a regular basis, where Ronald was also a deacon and he sang in the church's choir as well. So he really seems like an upstanding member of his community, a family man, churchgoer, perfect little family. Doesn't seem to get much more perfect than that, right? However, as we know, it's the ones who seem most perfect on the outside that are always the worst on the inside. So with that being said, around this time, despite having a steady job, Ronald was in serious debt. This was not a secret, however. He definitely told his friends and family um, about the family's money struggles. And they tried to help him, you know, any way they could. And despite their money troubles, the family did seem to live a happy life. I mean, Ronald and Diane gave their kids everything they could want. You know, just like any parent tries to. So, when Halloween rolled around, the family was excited to get the kids out of the house to enjoy a fun night of Halloween activities. Timothy and Elizabeth threw on their costumes, and the four of them went over to a, to a friend's 
house in Pasadena, Texas for a Halloween get together. Now, this was a nicer area. And I mean, didn't everyone's parents take them to the fancier neighborhoods in hopes of getting the better candy? If they didn't take you there, then you probably lived in that fancy neighborhood I'm talking about. I'm just saying. (laughs) Now, at some point in the night, the kids were ready to hit the street to go trick-or-treating. So, like the loving father that Ronald was, him and one of the dads to a couple other kids took four kids out trick-or-treating. It was two of Ronald's kids and two of his other guy's friend, kids. Excuse me. They took them around the neighborhood to get some candy. And along their route throughout the neighborhood, the kids were racking up the candy. You know, their trick-or-treat bags were getting pretty full. However, they ended up going to one house where one of the kids knocked on the door and, you know, shouted trick-or-treat, but no one came to the door. So after a minute of waiting, though, all the kids just ran off, kind of upset about it, but, you know, they didn't think much of it. Now, Ronald sort of hung back during this time, seemingly waiting just a little bit longer for someone to open the door. Now, Ronald eventually catches up to the group during this time and says that someone did actually come to the door and gave them some pixie sticks. Now, these were not normal small pixie sticks. These were 21-inch pixie sticks, and so the kids were pumped. This was like the ultimate jackpot for kids, right? A huge tube of sugar. (laughs) Now, he was given five pixie sticks. Now, there, of course, there was only four kids with him, so he handed out the four to the kids that were there and just kind of held on to the other one. Now, Ronald and the kids didn't stay out for very long because it started to rain. So, it wasn't long after this house that handed out the pixie sticks that the group headed back to the house that they had the party. And after hanging out for a little while at the party, the O'Briens go back home. Later, after the the family gets home, a little boy that Ronald ends up recognizing from their church comes knocking at the family's door. He's out still trick-or-treating. And Ronald ends up giving this child that extra pixie stick because like I said he got five pixie sticks from that house and there's only four kids in the group so he had the extra one and so the little boy was really excited and and took it and went on his way so after that the family is pretty much in for the night they're getting ready for bed but of course Timothy Timothy and Elizabeth are dying to eat some candy you know how kids are on Halloween and adults too but Whatever. So, Ronald says the kids can't have a bunch of candy before bed, but he does let them have one piece each. Now, he ends up giving each of his children one of the big pixie sticks. He says they can eat that, and then they have to go to bed. Now, let me pause real quick and say two things. One, I've heard a couple of conflicting reports here. Some reports said that Elizabeth was not given the pixie stick, that she was giving something else. But I've also heard that she got the pixie stick but wasn't able to open it and just ended up going to bed. But Timothy definitely gets the pixie stick. So he does get it open, but you know how sometimes that pixie stick powder can can stick and not come out of the tube? So he had to get Ronald's help getting out the powder, and that's what he does. And It's pretty much immediately after the powder hits Timothy's tongue that he complains about the powder tasting gross. He said it's real bitter and just doesn't taste very good, but you know how kids are. They love candy, so he ends up eating it anyways. Ronald would later say in his statement to police that not even 30 seconds after 
he left Timothy's room that he heard him cry out to him saying that his stomach hurt. And shortly after that, he was in the bathroom just convulsing and vomiting and gasping for air, which Ronald would later say that he ends up going limp at this moment. And Ronald and Diane immediately call an ambulance to come take Timothy to the hospital. But ultimately and sadly, Timothy was pronounced dead just 90 minutes after eating the pixie stick. So who's to blame here, right? Who could have done this? This was, it was obviously something wrong with the pixie stick, but like, was it poisoned? I mean, it had to have been obviously based on his symptoms and everything. So who was it? Was it Ronald? Was it, you know, Timothy's own dad who gave his son the pixie stick? Was it someone from that house that Ronald supposedly got the candy from? Or was it someone else entirely somehow? Like, who could be that evil? So police quickly jumped into action, considering the severity of the situation. I mean, they didn't know how many kids could have been poisoned. Was this an isolated incident by someone within the family? Or what was going on? So right away, police had to get the word out there. And they did. It was barely one day later when after local police when after the local police department looked into the issue, they found that the pixie stick had been laced with cyanide. The police alerted the public right away and told them all to throw out their kids' Halloween candy just in case any other candy had been poisoned, which of course you would think that would be the case since this one was found to be poisoned. Several parents in the area actually brought their kids' candy to the police station just to let them check to see if their child had received any of the poisoned candy. However, it appeared that the only kids who received the poisoned candy were the four kids that were with Ronald and then the one who came to his house later and and the one that he gave the extra pixie stick to. Now, that little boy who got the candy from the O'Brien's house later had been found sleeping the next morning with the poisoned pixie stick in his hand. He later told police that he had a hard time getting the thing opened and he was just never able to open it to eat it. But I mean, thank the Lord, right? So sadly, and and I guess luckily at the same time, ultimately Timothy O'Brien was the only one who ended up eating the candy. And of course, as we know, the only one who died after that horrifying Halloween night. So, obviously, the police needed to look closer at the O'Briens. When police started examining the candy, they did determine that it was definitely those pixie sticks that had been poisoned. No other candy had been contaminated. The candy was tested, and it tested positive for potassium cyanide. Like I said, the lab determined that someone had cut off the tops and and filled about two inches worth of poison in each piece of candy. Which is insane. So they then realized, or they then said that it was the top was sealed with some heavy duty staples, which explains why most of the kids could not even get it opened. An autopsy was performed on Timothy, and it was determined that he had enough cyanide in his system to kill two grown adults. And the other contaminated sticks were enough to kill t- three to four adults in each piece of candy. A few days later, after the tragic event, Timothy O'Brien was laid to rest. But it was after the funeral that the O'Brien's insurance agent made a call to police. 
he said he felt like something was wrong here and that someone needed to know what he knew. And you're like, what? You know, pause for dramatic effect. And this is the point in a scary movie where, you know, they say, dum, dum, dum. (laughs) I mean, not to make a joke about it, but seriously, I mean, what? So why is the family's insurance agent calling police? Well, this guy ends up telling police that the O'Brien's, that Ronald's wife did not know about the insurance policies that her husband had taken out on their children. The policies that he had taken out right before this fateful Halloween. So this obviously led police to look at Ronald specifically a lot closer. And when they did, the police initially talked to Ronald. He claimed that he didn't remember which house he got the pixie sticks from that night, which obviously a little suspicious, but... And it did. It made that. It made the police very suspicious. So they ended up going to each house in the neighborhood, which Ronald said they really only went down two streets because it wasn't very long before it started raining. So police or officers ended up going to every house on both streets, and none of the residents said they gave out that candy. And after that, police asked Ronald to walk the streets with them to see if he could remember which house it was that gave him the candy. And basically, Ronald's just stalling, right? We know this. We know that's going to happen. What's he going to say? So it's not until after they walk around three times before police were able to, or where police were about to give up, that Ronald finally takes them to a house that he said he got the candy from. He told them a story that someone finally came to the door after the rest of the group kind of walked away from the house and he was the only one standing there. He says that someone came to the door and they barely cracked open the door, stuck their hand out with the five pieces of candy and just handed it to him and then closed the door back. And that was it. He said he just thought it was strange, but just walked off. He said the only thing that he could say about this person was that they had a very hairy arm, (laughs) but he didn't give them any more information. Now, after this, the police questioned the owner of the home, and they quickly learned that he didn't even get home until 11 p.m. that night because he was actually an air traffic controller. That being said, he had over 200 people that could verify his alibi. Now, this man's wife and children were home at that that time or during the trick-or-treating hours. However, they said they definitely ran out of candy before Ronald and his group reached the house. That is why the lights were out and no one answered the door originally. So now police pretty much had their answer, right? That Ronald had to have been involved. But why? Um, And it just goes back to the, you know, insurance policy and all that. So police kind of looked into that more. When they started looking into Ronald, they found that the family wasn't a lot of financial financial debt, like we know. But it was actually over $100,000 worth of debt. However, Ronald had been telling his co-workers leading up to Halloween that he was about to come into a large sum of money. And his co-workers definitely found that pretty odd, obviously, as most probably would, that because they were under the assumption that he was about to be fired. Now, that sounds weird, but apparently, I mean, apparently Ronald does not or did not keep jobs for very long. In fact, One report said that in 10 years, he had held over 21 jobs, which is just, how does that even happen? But anyways, that's probably why you're in a ton of debt, because you can't hold on to a job, but whatever. 
Another fact about the family is that their car was about to be repossessed and their home was actually in foreclosure. So I had the feeling that Ronald was pretty desperate and was starting to look for anything and everything he could do to help his family. And and really he was probably willing to do something drastic to eliminate the debt and save his family. Now there were three separate occasions where Ronald actually incriminated himself. The first being he had been asking co-workers where he could purchase potassium cyanide. I'm just going to stop right there. <laughs> and this may sound weird. I promise you I will never hurt anyone. But, I mean, come on. Do not be asking people this. If you plan on doing something like this, if you plan on murdering someone, if you plan on poisoning someone, you don't go asking people questions about how you're going to murder them. Like, idiot. But anyways, I'm sorry that sounds weird. I just, <laughs> it just... You set yourself up for this. You deserve it. We all know criminals are stupid. So, we we know this. Now, the second thing was he had asked his teacher um, at the local community college where he had been taking classes how much cyanide it would take to kill specific-sized animals. So, great story there, Ronald. Um, and third, he was a local, I mean, excuse me, a local witness came forward saying, O'Brien came into his workplace right before Halloween, and he was a wholesale chemical store worker. He said he came in asking to buy cyanide. He was told that the smallest amount he could purchase would be five pounds, which apparently wasn't enough for him, so he left without buying anything. And that's just the incriminating evidence provided by witnesses. There is also physical evidence incriminating Ronald O'Brien. During a search of the O'Brien home, investigators found pieces of pixie stick tops, like the top plastic part of the pixie stick, along with a pixie, excuse me, along with a pocket knife that had traces of the plastic and candy on the blade. And now let's go back to the insurance agent statement for a second. So let's kind of dive into that a little bit closer. So in January earlier that year, two policies were taken out on the children for $10,000. Then a month before Halloween, he took out about $20,000 additional dollars on each child. And then just days before Timothy died, another $20,000 policy was taken out on each child. That would be a total of $50,000 on each child or $100,000 total if they both had eaten the candy or if they both had died. The day after Halloween, when his son died, Ronald called the insurance company trying to get this money. Also, huge red flag. But anyways, on November 5th, 1974, Ronald, Ronald Clark O'Brien was arrested and charged on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. He ended up pleading not guilty on all charges and pretty much maintained his innocence up until trial. And the trial started on May 5th, 1975 in Houston, Texas. Now, the prosecutor had a slew of witnesses take the stand against Ronald. Of course, they had Ronald's friends and co-workers who had given their statements to police regarding his strange interest in cyanide all of a sudden and the family's debt. So then there are four surprising witnesses that took the stand. One being the neighbor 
who had gone trick-or-treating with a with O'Brien, he told the courtroom that his son went to open the pixie stick that he had gotten um, back at the house, but he said O'Brien jumped over a coffee table and grabbed it from this little boy. He said something along the lines like, it's too much sugar for a little boy to have at night, whatever. Then, Ronald's sister and brother-in-law both testified that at the funeral for Timothy, Ronald was talking about how he planned to use the insurance money. He was bragging about taking an extended vacation and he wanted to purchase some things that he had wanted or he had been wanting. And lastly, his wife testified against him as, as well. However, her statement doesn't appear to be public. I can't find um, any quote from her from the trial, but it is known that she maintained that she had no idea about the insurance policies and she did believe that Ronald was the one who committed this heinous crime. And that she also said that he believed that she believed he should die for what he had done to their son. And in the end, it took only 46 minutes for the jury to convict Ronald O'Brien of murder. And only 71 minutes for them all to agree on the death sentence. Ronald did ultimately appeal his case several times, going as far as the Supreme Court, but all appeals were rejected. And Ronald Clark O'Brien died by lethal injection in March 1984. Ronald did give a statement just before his execution, and I'll read part of it for you. He basically says, I would forgive all of who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone have offended in any way during my 39 years, I pray and ask your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you one and all. God bless you, and may God's best blessings be always yours. Ronald O'Brien now, I say that to say, ultimately, he pretty much pleaded his innocence until his death. Um, I hate that because we all know that he did it, but but typically, people like this do try to kind of have that cocky card, play that cocky card until the end, and just, once again, trying to shove in people's faces that he's innocent, even though we all know he's not. And that, friends, is the horrible story of the man who killed Halloween. Supposedly, Ronald's fellow inmates gave him the nickname the Candyman, but they were not his friends by any means. As a child killer, he was the lowest on the totem pole and had a rough time in prison up until his death, which rightfully so in my opinion. Now, I didn't I didn't call him the Candyman during this because there's a lot of people that are called the Candyman, for one reason or another, so he's better known as the man who killed Halloween. Now, I hope I didn't ruin your Halloween this year, and with the state of the world we're in right now, I'm not even sure we'll be, I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone will be monitoring their kids' candy pretty closely this year anyways, <laughs> but I hope you all have a good Halloween. I hope I didn't ruin it for you, <laughs> but that's it for me, guys. I hope you enjoyed the first Halloween episode here on The Killer Kind. The next two episodes will also be Halloween episodes, 
and I can't wait for here. I can't wait for you to hear those stories as well. Thank you again for joining me here. I will see you guys back here in two weeks. Until then, stay safe, and I'll talk to you later. Bye, guys.